0: First Samuel 31, hear now God's word. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan, saw the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, They abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of beth shan But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of beth and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh, and fasted seven days. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We're now at the end uh, of an era. Uh, We hear always all good things must come to an end, or in this case, even the bad things will ultimately come to an end. And after uh, again Saul uh, is breaking uh, his covenant with God through his encounter with the medium, uh, the necromancer at Endor, and David's destruction of the Amalekites, Saul now finally enters his last battle. It's like the great cliffhanger, the great season finale. What will happen to Saul? What is going to happen? Uh, If the king of Israel dies, will David become king now? And so first we come to uh, this evening, the tragedy of a faithful servant in verses one through two. One of the things we tend to focus on in this passage is the death of Saul. And rightly so. It's kind of the, the glowing, uh, uh, thing right there as we read the passage of the glowing light. We see Saul, he dies and we're like, okay, now now it's David's turn to move on to the scene. It's this major transition in the kingship. Uh, you know the man whom the people wanted uh, over serving the Lord over the Lord being their king has now died uh, and would ultimately succumb to his wounds as he's injured. Uh, in the passage Uh, yet the focus of this passage uh, should divert us to that of Jonathan Saul's son Uh, Jonathan who played such a central role in uh, many of the previous passages and specifically in the life of David the coming king If you remember in 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan played this leading role in the military conquest against the Philistines. And following this battle, Saul makes uh, this rash vow uh, that would have threatened Jonathan's life, his own son's life. In 1 Samuel 14, 43 43 through 46, it says, Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. And Saul said, God do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. And shortly after this passage, we're read we're told uh, that Saul is ultimately rejected by the Lord. He makes this rash vow that Jonathan unknowingly fulfills, um, and saul is willing to kill his servant jonathan is willing to obey his father and his king but the people save him recognizing that he has done a great deed for israel and even in first samuel 18 1-4 uh, through 4, really a critical passage when we think about jonathan he gives up his right to kingship to david Saul or jonathan was the firstborn ready able willing to take the throne Uh, but humbly gives that over to King David, Lord, the Lord's anointed. This is what we're told. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, uh, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. We see the brotherly love that they had for one another. Jonathan is taking his kingly garments, if you will, and waiting to take the throne and passing them along to David. And then we're told after Saul tries to kill David, Jonathan goes and warns David of Saul's hatred. And even Saul himself uh, nearly attempts to murder his own son, Jonathan. First Samuel 20 verses 33 through 34, Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. It's as if Jonathan kind of shared uh, in the persecution of David, uh, yet Jonathan was Saul's son. He was, uh, Saul was his father. He was also his king, uh, yet Jonathan was still faithful to both father and king at the same time. How often are we, though, Uh, faithful with those who are faithful to the Lord and often are attacked as well. Uh, In a small way, Jonathan's uh, relationship to King David is a lot like our relationship to Christ. The world acts like Saul. The world tries to kill us and persecute us. We are hated, not because they truly hate us, but because they hate Christ. First John 3, 13, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Uh, Jesus himself says this in Matthew 10, 22, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And also Jesus says in John 15, 18, 18 through 21, if the, lo- if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We see humility as well in the life of Jonathan, who would so willingly give up all that he had for the sake of another. We kind of see this in two different ways. We see it first in his Uh, sacrificial obedience to his own father. He did not have a father who really loved him as we are seen or shown in scripture. Saul was a wicked father. He tried to kill his own son out of anger and hatred. Yet John still, or excuse me, Jonathan still honored him As such, he still honored his father. Just as Exodus 20, 12 says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Saul was wicked, uh, but Jonathan still honored his father. Uh, This is what we see also in the New Testament. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Again, quoting back to the Decalogue. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. How challenging is it for us sometimes uh, to love our own fathers when they are wicked, when they hate us, when they revile us, when they persecute us. How difficult is it for us to demonstrate a, a godly love amidst such wicked fathers at times, yet Jonathan himself was obedient quite literally to the point of death. He went to battle with his wicked father and died there when he could have stayed back. Not only do we see uh, Jonathan's humility in his obedience to his own father, but we see it in his humility and obedience to his king as well. Saul was not only his father, but his king. Jonathan embodied a lot of the principles we see in the New Testament, Romans 13, one through three, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. When you have no fear of the one who is in authority, then do what is good and you will receive his approval. Even in Titus 3, 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Even Peter himself, says the same thing, 1 Peter 2, 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Even we ourselves sometimes have to be obedient to wicked rulers as well. At the end of the day, though, Jonathan, in this passage, really throughout all of 1 Samuel, Demonstrated a true, genuine, uh, Christ-like attitude in his own life. Uh, Jonathan here really points us to Christ. If you uh, remind yourselves, or remember, for Philippians, excuse me, uh, two, verses five through eight, that we are to have this mindset uh, among ourselves, that we are uh, that we are to be humble, that we are to love one another because Christ himself did not uh, count the same equality he had with God. He emptied himself. He laid aside his divine privileges that he was granted. He came in the form of a servant, born as in the likeness of man, and emptied himself, became obedient to the point of death on a cross. Humility was in the mind of Jonathan. And so it is also with Christ. Jesus himself says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve many and give his life as a ransom for many. Jonathan's life was full of purpose, even though it appears to us that he died prematurely. Uh, Jonathan's death served to strengthen David's reliance upon the Lord, what something we'll see in the coming weeks. Uh, David can no longer now rely upon his relationship that he had with Jonathan, but had to solely now rely upon the Lord for his coming kingship. And even though Jonathan was full of humility in passing over this kingship to David... We're reminded that ultimately the Lord is the one who picks the rulers and authorities. And though this may be a bit of speculation, uh, we can also maybe assume that the Lord had safeguarded or prevented Jonathan from ending up like his father when David would become king. Perhaps their relationship would have become strained or Jonathan would have acted even more sinfully in seeing David rise and take the throne. Uh, But because Jonathan here was a good man demonstrating humility regardless uh, of how he ended his days, he could not die in an evil state. God no doubt had turned this uh, temporal death for Jonathan, something we see so tragic, uh, so short-lived, such a short life and this life lost. But Jonathan is now everlasting glory with the Lord. <clears throat> the Lord took him away. And although God's judgments are secret to us, we can still be faithful in the way that Jonathan was faithful. Obedience unto death because we serve a truly faithful king. And so that will lead us secondly to our second point, uh, the demise of an unfaithful king king. Saul's death, uh, his downfall, is is really explained in some brutal terms here in the passage. Uh, The verbs tell of a very terrible death. Uh, We see the verb to flee, to fall, to strike down, to writhe or to be wounded, to pierce through, to die, to strip, to cut off, to nail. In the thick of all of it, Saul is pleading with his armor-bearer to finish him off. Uh, Saul wills or wants to die the same way that Abimelech, Israel's unanointed king, died in Judges 9.54 by the sword of an armor-bearer. Saul's death looks a lot like his life in kingship. Uh, In a way, he fled from the Lord. Uh, As in verse 1 and 7, he had fallen uh, spiritually. He was stricken with a spiritual stupor of which David would comfort him as David was playing the harp. Saul was cut off from the Lord as king, and he ended up paying the wages for his sins, uh, which is death. And So again, Saul really marks the end of an era, the end of... A sinful kingship, really an unfaithful kingship going against what the Lord had required of him. It's odd that uh, Saul here in the passage is pierced by many arrows. It's as if, as the psalmist proclaims in Psalm 91, 5 through 6, that Saul wasn't uh, given that protection, that literal protection from the Lord. This is what the psalmist writes. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, and nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday, right? Saul asks to be dealt a death blow and is denied by his armor bearer. So once again, what does Saul do? He takes it upon himself. He doesn't consult the Lord He has himself at the focus just as he went and sought the medium at endor on his own it's a dark time for god's kingdom for the kingship but god shows us that his word even though it's in darkness it's not outside of god's purpose god's word always prevails Just as we are told in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, what would happen to Saul? Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Even still in 1 Samuel 28, as he tries to reverse this curse, this prophecy upon his own life, he goes and seeks the medium or the necromancer. And is he told what he wants to hear? Is he given lip service? No, he's told the exact same thing because God's word prevails. God says what he says. And so Saul still dies within the boundaries of what was prophesied on his own account. And so we're comforted that when we see the words of judgment on Saul. Uh, we can equally be assured of the word of promise that's given to David as well. Just as David beheads Goliath in this act of triumph over the Philistines, so they also do to Saul. Uh, Israel now is scattered. They're destitute. They're without a leader. Uh, They're without hope. The Philistines have now retaken these captured cities that, if you remember back in Joshua's time, Joshua's conquest, all the enemies of the land should have been driven out, but what does Israel do? They don't drive them out. And so during the time of the judges, they're still at war with the Philistines, the pagan nations. They drive them back, but now they've come back and inhabited the land, the land that Israel was promised. So Saul's reputation is gone. But we're told here this interesting small group from Jabesh Gilead who do an honorable thing in risking uh, their own lives to bring uh, Saul's body uh, back uh, away from this uh, embarrassing death and being uh, pinned to a wall, beheaded in their own temple. And if you remember these people uh, during Saul's good years, uh, he had defeated the Ammonites on behalf of the people of Jabesh Gilead. And so now they're coming back and returning the favor uh, that Saul had done for them. They go in the night, they carry out this secret mission to gather Saul's body and his son's bodies and to bury them, to have a proper burial uh, for them. Yet still Saul passes from us. It's interesting as well It's almost as if Saul doesn't really die one death in this passage either. Uh, We're told that Saul uh, has these death blows from arrows. So you could call that his first death. If he would have remained like that, he would have died. And then Saul is pierced by his armor bearer as well, or not pierced by his armor bearer, takes it upon himself uh, to pierce himself And in that moment, he dies a death. But then we're told in the previous chapter, that there's another who comes and pierces Saul as well after he has pierced himself. So Saul is, in a sense, taking these three death blows. And we know that in the Bible, three is always a reference to completion. It's It's as if we're really highlighting the point that this is the completed event. This is the end of the event. Paul has, or Saul has taken the arrows, Saul has taken the sword for himself, and Saul has been given the sword by another. We're also confronted with uh, a very difficult uh, part uh, of this passage, more an ethical aspect, uh, and that is the issue of suicide and whether it's ever warranted. It's a resounding no, brothers and sisters. If you want to check out after this, but no, it's never warranted. Saul himself is never commended in the test in the Old Testament or the New for his act of cowardice and sin in taking his own life. Uh, suicide is an injury not just to ourselves but to those who live among us, our family members and our friends. In the scriptures, it's always associated with condemnation like that of Judas Iscariot and Ahithophel as well in 2 Samuel 17. Why do I bring this up? Uh, Many uh, who are my friends and colleagues who are in the military uh, know the issue of suicide greatly. Uh, nearly every two to three months since I've been out, um, I am I am told uh, I hear of a member uh, who is in uh, my unit, uh, whether somebody I worked with directly or indirectly, who has taken their own life. Uh, it, it's very prevalent in our own lives. It's not an unforgivable sin, as some. Would say, but it is certainly a heinous sin that's not without God's grace and forgiveness. Some of even the most godly people succumb to the issue of suicide. And so, when we think about the taking of one's own life, uh, we have to be reminded that as Christians, we're called to endure. Uh, We're called to endure amidst suffering amidst persecution and it's not comfortable persecution isn't comfortable for us suffering is not enjoyable it's a challenge it's difficult but just as we have read in Romans quite recently what what can separate us from God's love when we are suffering when we are facing tribulation and persecution? when we're facing famine and sword, when life looks so bleak, like there's no hope left, what do we do? We're reminded that none of these things, neither life nor death, will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's difficult, it's challenging, but we're called to endure, we're called to have hope, a hope that is only found in the gospel. It's interesting how Saul's kind of reputation is uh, proclaimed throughout the centuries. Uh, Dante writes of Saul in his Purgatory Canto 12, uh, just kind of retelling of the pride of King Saul. He says, O Saul, how ghastly didst thou look on thine own sword, expiring in Gilboa from the hour never visited with rain from heaven or dew. Saul's effect, his demise has been seen all throughout history. Uh, lest our hearts become so hardened that we act as Saul did in seeking pagan rituals in denying the Lord and seeking other things rather than seeking the Lord, Like Saul, our hearts can become embittered. We can become prideful. Uh, We can see the joys that other Christians in this life are getting and become hateful towards them. We're unbelievers as well. As one commentator says, even repentance may come too late to avert its consequences. And in this life Saul had every opportunity in the book to turn to repentance just as we looked at this morning God has been waiting with long suffering and patiently enduring to hope that people would come to saving faith in him but Paul stays in his heart and heart. he stays remains in his wickedness he seeks after Unbelievers to comfort him rather than the comfort that the Lord gives. Likewise, Bunyan puts it, look to thyself then, deal with sin no more, lest he that saves against thee shuts the door. God calls us to repentance. God calls us, although we sin, we seek him in repentance. And Bunyan's quote is interesting. Because he says, lest God shuts the door finally at that last, final invitation to seek him. Lest he shuts that door, turn and repent to a savior who can save. When it comes to those who are spiritually depraved, those who are spiritually lost, those who continue their hatred for God... Uh, sometimes all we can do for them is to pray for them, Uh, to realize uh, that God is sovereign in all things. Uh, We have to remember that repentance is a gift from God. We won't always have the clever tactics, uh, the right evangelistic tools, uh, the right apologetics to convince them, of the faith that ultimately it's a work of God. But that praying does bring about repentance, repentance, excuse me. Uh, I love this story, a true story. Uh, one of the greatest early church theologians ever known uh, grew up in a Christian home. Uh, his mother was earnest in praying for his salvation all the time. And when this man left home, uh, he involved himself in many different forms of uh, debauchery and paganism. And what did his mother do? I mean, he had all the knowledge he needed to be saved. Again, he was raised in a Christian home. What did his mother do? She continued to pray for him. And this person would become one of the greatest church theologians, St. Augustine. Uh, His mother made it her mission on earth to be the one who would be constantly in prayer for her son, for Augustine. And to be the one that, again, from a human perspective, that God would use in bringing Augustine to himself. This is what he even himself reflects upon in his confessions. He says, uh, writes of his mother, Monica. She says, there was only one reason and one reason alone why I wished to remain a little longer in this life, and it was to see you. She says to her son, Augustine, to see you become a Christian. This mother lived to see these prayers answered. Uh, And Augustine did become a Christian there in the city of Milan. And Augustine and his mother uh, decided that they would travel back to North Africa. And this is what Augustine writes in reflection upon his mother. In reflection upon, you can be as hardened as you want, but prayer can break through that hardness. God can use that as a means to provide salvation to you. He says... Not long before the day in which she, that is his mother, Monica, was to leave this life, you knew which day it was to be, O Lord. Though we did not, my mother and I were alone, learning from a window which overlooked the garden in the courtyard of the house where we were staying at Ostia. We were waiting there after our long and tiring journey, away from the crowd to refresh ourselves before our sea voyage." I believe that what I am going to tell happened through the secret working of your providence. He continues, Our conversation led us to this conclusion that no bodily pleasure, however great it might be, and whatever earthly light might shed luster upon it, was worthy of our comparison or even of mention beside the happiness of the life of the saints. Shortly after this encounter that Augustine had with his mother, his mother passed away. Uh, Truly, as she had said previously, that her goal in life was to remain just a little bit longer to see him come to salvation. Now she has reaped those benefits. But she was a woman of prayer. She knew that God was sovereign over all things, that God is sovereign over salvation, yet she endured, she waited. And so even though we see the death of Saul as a great tragedy, the end of an era, we see Saul continuing to harden his own heart to to push further and further away from God. We are still reminded And we can pray for our brothers and sisters who are in that state of hardness, knowing that God will bring about all of his sheep home. With that, let us pray. Mm -hmm. Father, we're so grateful for your word. And Lord, we're grateful that we can see Jesus Christ in all of it. Uh, We can see Christ as our true king, uh, that when we have wicked kings who rule over us, we are reminded that we have a great king, a great redeemer who is over all things. And Lord, we can look in the scriptures and see wicked fathers, but we can be reminded that you are our father. You are our good Father who is without sin, who loves and knows his own people. And Lord, we can be assured, like Jonathan, that although we will remain in steadfast obedience to you, that our lives may be cut short, but we will have an eternal glory awaiting us. So Father, give us perseverance as we go out into the world this week. Help us to love you and to know you and to cherish the gift of the cross. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.